Hey, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. Uh, if you're worshiping online with us today, uh, good morning and good to see you as well. Turn to Luke uh, chapter 19, please. Salvation to the outcast. Anita mentioned is a good phrase to to capture uh, the gospel of Luke and I think that's I think that's right on. Uh, listen to this familiar story Luke 19 verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that that your Holy Spirit is the one that makes your word come alive to us and helps us to see what we cannot see on our own. We pray that you would do that now. Um, May this be a living word that changes our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at your note sheet um, in your bulletin, there's a a question at the top. What is salvation? If you have a pen or a pencil, I'd like for you to jot down a word or maybe a phrase or a couple of thoughts. Uh, What comes to mind? And you can answer this out loud as well. What What comes to mind when you hear salvation? Especially in church, what comes to mind when you hear salvation? Forgiveness, I think I heard. Forgiveness of our sins, yes. Yeah, being rescued. Rescued from our sins, but also maybe maybe a a bigger rescue. Um. Saved from the wrath of God, which opens up the uh, the door to eternal life, right? Um, instead of instead of hell, maybe that's what comes to mind. Did someone say love? Love. Um. Yeah. Uh, in in maybe more ways than one, love. Uh, that I, I hope we'll get to in our, our sermon today. Um, so we're talking about God's mission. 
And as we look at the Gospel of Luke, we're, we're in particularly thinking of what does Jesus show us about God's mission. And you could say, Pastor, I listened to you when you read verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And, and that's what God's mission is about. It's about seeking and saving the lost. And I would not disagree with you in the least bit. That shows us God's mission, to seek and save the lost, to rescue. Um, God's mission is to bring salvation. My worry is that for many people, um, particularly here in America, that we have kind of this narrow view of salvation, a real, a real limited view of what salvation is, too small of an understanding of salvation. And I want to look at what this story says about salvation. And I think there's two things that are really critical to look at. It's what does Zacchaeus do and what does Jesus do in the story? So we're going to start with what Zacchaeus does. Um, Look at verse 2. This verse says a lot. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. And it's interesting that he is named in this story because as you look through Luke, some characters are given names and some are not. Sometimes that's very meaningful. Sometimes it may just be that's the way. But I think it's very meaningful that Luke makes a point of naming the, this real-life character. This isn't a parable, real-life character story here. Um, this man's name is Zacchaeus. In ancient, uh, ancient, ancient times, you, you may know this, names, the actual names themselves were really significant. A parent or parents did not... Uh, come up with the name that they thought sounded the best or that they kind of liked to name their child that. That may happen today. Oh, we really like this cool name, and let's name our child that. Um, maybe less so today, uh, parents think of what names mean and say, we want that meaning to be connected to our child. We want that meaning to to be developed into our child, and that's that was the approach in ancient times. Parents would find a name that had a meaning, and they wanted that meaning to be developed and to grow into their child throughout that child's life. Do you know what the name Zacchaeus means? Pure. Clean. Isn't it ironic that Zacchaeus, whose name means clean and pure, grew up to be a chief tax collector? And so we can imagine when Zacchaeus was a week or so, his parents taking them, him to the temple and praying over this son of theirs. Oh, God, we, we pray that our son would, would be pure in your sight, clean in your sight. And, and Zacchaeus grows up to be a tax collector, which is significant because tax collectors in, uh, in Jesus' day in Jesus' culture. Is my microphone on, by the way? I can't tell if y'all can hear me. Um, th- they, were, they were thought of as scoundrels, as cheats. Uh, why were there Jewish tax collectors working in the Roman Empire in, in Judea? Why not a Roman? Well, in ancient days, they didn't have W-2 forms <laughs> that your employer would 
send you in the mail, which kept track of your wages. And they didn't supply a copy of that to the, the Roman Empire so that they could tax you appropriately. Um, instead, you needed people who were on the inside, who knew the locals, who knew their occupations, who knew their possessions, who knew what they did for a living, who knew their amounts of wealth to come up with an appropriate amount to, to tax an individual or a family. And so the Roman Empire would, they would hire Jews because the Jewish tax collectors knew the Jewish people living among them. They, they got to know them, and they weren't friends with them because they taxed them, but they knew what they did. They knew how many sheep they had on the hills. They knew their property, so they know how much to tax them. So Jews would go up to other Jews and say, I want the tax for the Romans. Okay, well, that's bad enough in Jewish people's eyes. And you may know this as well about ancient tax collectors. The way that they would become wealthy is they would overtax their the, the Jewish people living among them. They would overtax them and keep the, the surplus for themselves. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but this verse, verse 2, says he's more than that. He's a chief tax collector. So that meant Zacchaeus was doing all of that, and he was also managing other tax collectors who were doing the same thing. So you can see how Zacchaeus would have been very hated in the crowd. That's Zacchaeus. What makes Zacchaeus run, which men in Greco-Roman Jewish culture didn't do in public, what made Zacchaeus run around this crowd and climb a tree, which men in Greco-Roman and Jewish culture didn't do in public? What made Zacchaeus do that? Just so that he could see Jesus, and it's this. Zacchaeus knew that he was lost. Zacchaeus knew that he was an outcast. He knew it. And you have to wonder, did Zacchaeus wake up in the morning and say, Zacchaeus, what in the world are you doing with your life? How, how have you become this person? Do you like this person that you have become? And there's likely a word for what Zacchaeus was feeling, and that word is shame, right? He knew he was lost. He was ashamed of who he was. This is a desperate man. And uh, so he's desperate. That's why he runs and climbs up a tree, and he's also ashamed, and maybe that's another reason why he climbed a tree, because he might have wanted to hide in the leafy canopy of a sycamore tree. Uh, he wanted to be hidden. If you ask me, I would say he's a little unsure of what Jesus would do if he were to actually meet him. Would Jesus chastise him? Would he turn him away? So he's kind of keeping the safe distance, but he still wants to see Jesus because he's desperate. So that's Zacchaeus and what Zacchaeus does. Now let's look at what Jesus does. So Jesus passes through Jericho. This is not long before he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So this is not, before, not long before Jesus' crucifixion. It's passing through Jericho. He doesn't stop. There's a large crowd. 
large enough for Zacchaeus not to be able to see Jesus, so he had to run around the crowd. Um, right before this, by the way, Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus is entering into Jericho, and on the side of the road, there was a blind man. You may remember this story. And the crowds are with Jesus because that's what happened when Jesus was walking through cities. Crowds would gather. There's a blind man on the side of the road, and the blind man was shouting out, Jesus, 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 help me. And he hollered out so that he could get Jesus' attention. And Jesus stops and he heals this blind man. This is right before Jesus runs into Jericho, right before this story. It's interesting when we think through the story about Zacchaeus. Did Zacchaeus have to shout out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? No, he's hiding in a tree. So Jesus passes all the way through Jericho. He's on his way out. He stops right underneath this tree. He looks up, and he calls out to Zacchaeus, a man who he had not met before, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Come down right now because I must stay at your house today. And one of the beautiful messages throughout the Gospel of Luke is that he reaches out to outcasts. Uh, Jesus makes time for every single person, which is quite amazing, as popular as Jesus was at this time, with crowds following him. I mean, have you ever wanted to meet someone distinguished? Maybe, you know, a celebrity, maybe... You know, the, the scenario that I thought of was a book signing. Have you ever been to a book signing? Um, or maybe not a book signing if you're not into book signings. Maybe you're at a concert and you hang out later because you want to actually meet the band or the singer, you know, and so you wait, 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 wait. Or you're at a book signing. What are you doing? You're wait, wait, waiting in line. Or maybe in an autograph session, you get, you, get, you know, the Astros are sending out their the big stars and you're waiting at Academy and you're waiting, 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 waiting in line so that you get an autograph on a baseball or something like that. There's a lot of waiting. And after you wait for maybe an hour or so, and you finally get to the front of the line, and you're at the table, do, do you get to hang out there and talk to the author and, or hang out with a band and have a cup of coffee? Do you get to do that? No. You get like two seconds. I, I was being generous thinking maybe ten seconds. You get two seconds. You get enough time to get a quick autograph, and then you're shoved away because there's this long line behind you. And Jesus just didn't operate like that. He made time for every person. Listen, if you are in a line at an autograph session, who is the only person who can hold up the rest of the line and actually have a long conversation? Who can actually say, let's grab coffee? Who's the only person who can do that? Maybe a family member or a really good friend, or a child. And that's exactly how Jesus treats Zacchaeus. Come down. I don't want to meet you just for 10 seconds. I don't want to give you a quick autograph. I don't want to give you a high five and get on to the next person. I want to spend time at your house. That's just amazing. Um, the beautiful thing about the story is here is the short, sinful, ashamed Zacchaeus, and Jesus makes all the time in the world for him. And he will make all the time in the world for you as well. 
one thing that we may miss out on in a 21st century understanding of this passage is how long Jesus was at Zacchaeus' home. We may think, ah, well, you spent the afternoon there, maybe had dinner, possibly, a couple hours. No, 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 no. It would have been at least a one-night stay at Zacchaeus' house. The nature of physical travel in ancient times, you, you walk slowly. You traveled by foot or by donkey or by horse. Uh, you traveled slower. Uh, the nature of physical travel meant in ancient days, hospitality was much, much more important. And as Luke tells this story, as Jesus is passing through Jericho, it would have been understood, absolutely understood, that Jesus would have received several offers, if not many offers of hospitality. Jesus, come stay at my house tonight. You're passing through. You need to stay at my house, Jesus. Come stay with me, showing him hospitality. Jesus passes up all of those offers and stops underneath this fig tree, this sycamore tree. And hiding in that tree is a scoundrel of a man that he's never met. And he said, I want to stay at your house tonight. Imagine that. The, so what does this tell you? This tells you this. Jesus will find you if you know that you are lost. Jesus will find you if you know that you are lost. So we're trying something new today. We're going to try it for um, a month or so. This is going to be directed at one segment of our congregation, our junior hires. Um, What we're doing for a month is we're going to ask our junior hires if they would like to. They're going to have a little discussion just by themselves on this scripture. Um, If this is your first time and you're a junior hire and you want to go along with them, love for you to do that. So Miss Nina is going to take our junior hires, and they're going to have a uh, Bible study on this story. And I want to ask the rest of us, have you ever been lost? Um... Like, maybe you remember as a kid and you're in a shopping mall or center and all of a sudden you look and your parents aren't around and you don't know what happened. You, you took a turn and they didn't or they took a turn and you didn't. Um, how frightening that can be. Or maybe if you're one of those adventuresome hiker types that goes on long hikes with... Uh, you know, not just the one or two mile variety, but you're, I mean, you're out, you're way out. And, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm not quite sure I know where I am or we are. And you have the map, but you've kind of lost your place and can't figure it out. And, and it's getting dark. I mean, have you ever been there? And have you ever realized the relief of you're that kid in the shopping center and all of a sudden you hear your parents or you see them walk around the corner. Oh my gosh, there's mom and dad. Or you, you're on the trail and, and you're just wandering around. And you finally come to the trailhead or the marker or the signs. Like, oh, I know where I am. Whew. We're not going to be standing out, spending the night out here lost um, on the trail. When you are lost, the, 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 one of the points of the story is that Jesus will find you. When you know that you are lost. 
So people asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you eat with sinners? And he said, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And of course he didn't mean that there are some people who need Jesus and others who don't need Jesus. That's not what Jesus meant. Everyone needs Jesus. But there are those who recognize that they need Jesus and those that are blind to that or they refuse to accept that or they're stubborn to that. Jesus says, I have come to heal the sick, those who know that they need a doctor. The promise of Christianity is if you know that you are lost and in need of rescuing, the rescuer will find you. A couple of scriptures came to my mind um, from Jeremiah um, about that thought. One is uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Uh, you will seek me, God says, and you will find me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When you are feeling lost, you can know that God will find you. You'll find God. Another one uh, from Jeremiah 33, verse 3, called me, called me, and I will answer you. You can expect an answer from me. I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. When you are wanting God, when you know that you're lost, God's going to find you. It's a wonderful promise from the Scriptures. Jesus finds Zacchaeus. Come down, Zacchaeus. Is Zacchaeus just going to stay up in the tree? Of course not because he's desperate. He knows that he's lost. Jesus is offering Zacchaeus the very thing that he desires, acceptance, the opportunity to find forgiveness. He's offering him grace. He's offering him value, which he got none from the townspeople because all the townspeople hated Zacchaeus. Jesus says, today, salvation has come to Zacchaeus. So, Back to this question, what is salvation? I thought of four things that we can say about salvation from this scripture. Uh, Four little bullet points on your your note sheet. Um, One, salvation is more than the forgiveness of your sins. I mean, it certainly includes that. It certainly includes that, but it's, it's bigger than that. I think you can think of salvation like this. Salvation is knowing that you're lost and being found by Jesus. It's knowing that you're lonely and being found by the one who can cure your loneliness. It's it's knowing that you are directionless and being found by the one who can give you direction. That's salvation. It's, It's knowing you have this desire for real meaning in your life and being found by the one who can give you that meaning. It's it's knowing that you desperately desire life after death, eternal life, being saved from God's wrath, and being found by the one who can give you that very thing, eternal life. It's more, a little more concretely, it's, it's knowing that you are starving for food, like real physical food, and then finding the one who says, I'm going to make sure that you get that food. It's knowing that you keep ruining your relationships by, I don't know, getting angry and being found by the one who can help you overcome your anger issue. That's salvation. It's someone who knows that your life is messed up and is not where you want it to be and being found by the one who can put your life back together. So salvation isn't only spiritual. You know, the blind man that shouted out to Jesus before he entered into Jericho. Jesus, save me, heal me. Jesus says to him, here, this is uh, Luke 18, verse 42. Uh, Jesus, this is from the, the King James Version. I'll, I'll point that out in a second. 
uh, Jesus said, Receive thy sight, thy faith has saved you. Uh, Most other translations put that as healed. Your faith has healed you. But that word saved is the same word as in uh, chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's not just a spiritual saving. It's physical. He, He restored the sight of the blind man, said your faith did that. The word save is, it's the verbal form of salvation in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this man's house. So salvation is more than the forgiveness of your sins. It's more than spiritual. Two, salvation produces change in your life. What does Zacchaeus do after he's found by Jesus? Let's look at verse 8 again. Um, Zacchaeus stood up. Actually, I don't, I don't think I have a slide for this. Sorry about that. Um, let's look at verse 8 again. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a lot of money. And of course, giving that money was not a requirement for Zacchaeus. In fact, if Zacchaeus had given away his money as a sense of duty or obligation or some payoff to Jesus. Jesus, you did this for me. I gotta, I'll pay you off. Or that because he, was thought he, he thought he was meeting some requirement, then that's why he gave away his money. Well, that would have shown that Zacchaeus in some way was trying to earn his salvation. But instead, Jesus helped him to love the right things in his heart. And when Zacchaeus started loving the right things in the right order in his heart, I think it made Zacchaeus gladly willing to give away his possessions because he wasn't loving his possessions out of order in his heart anymore. Jesus had taken that top spot. I don't have this as a bullet point, but you could think of salvation like this. Salvation is... Jesus helping you love the right things in the right order. That that Jesus becomes the number one thing in your heart. And then everything in your life comes under that. And Jesus helps things get prioritized in your life. Your life would be better, right? After that were to happen. Um, so Zacchaeus says, I, I want to do this. I want to give away my possessions, not out of obligation, not out of payment to Jesus. I want to do this because I'm not loving it in my heart. When you're loving Jesus first and foremost, it changes your life. You're able to give up to control to Jesus. Maybe it's not possessions that you're loving more than anything else. Maybe it's thinking that you are right. And when you feel wronged, you get angry. Maybe Jesus occupying that top spot in your heart will help you give up that anger. It's another example of how Jesus could change your life. Jesus helps you to forgive. There are a number of people who assume 
that they are true Christians because they attend church. And that's a, that's a dangerous assumption, isn't it? Um, if you remain the same after believing in Jesus, if you don't lose your temper or, or lose it a little bit, if, if, if you continue to cheat others, to treat others as objects, or to approach others as if they're somehow supposed to be serving you and making your life better, if that persists in your life, or if you continue to hold on to grudges, or if you just stay angry on the inside, you have to wonder, has Jesus really come in and taken this top spot in my, top spot in my heart and helped me reorder my heart? Have I really received that salvation that Jesus proclaimed that Zacchaeus received? So Jesus saw this change in Zacchaeus, he knew there was this change in Zacchaeus' heart. He said, salvation has come to his house. Third thing, uh, salvation restores your relationship with God and others. Because as Jesus changes your heart, do you think that might improve your relationship with others? That it might restore maybe some, some broken relationships? Yeah, I think so. Z- Zacchaeus could have said, he could have said, okay, Jesus, I, I'm quitting my tax collecting business. No more. He could have said that. He could have said, uh, "No, maybe I'll be, continue to be a tax collector, you know, but I'm not going to overtax people anymore. It's just going to be even Stephen. I'm not going to get wealthy off of others. He could have said that. Um, but Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give back a lot. (laughs) I'm going to give back more than what even the Jewish law required, which was a fifth of what he had cheated. Jesus gives a bigger percentage of what he had cheated back. Um, And when, when Zacchaeus said that, do you think that would have restored, in part, some of the broken relationships that he had with the Jewish town people around him? I think so. I think they would have started seeing Zacchaeus in a different light. There's this theme that we've been talking about over the past several weeks, and that's God's mission is building up shalom in, in the world and in our neighborhoods. And shalom is this relational fabric where people depend on one another and reach out to one another. And as this fabric is of human relationships is strengthened, we find out that people don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be in need because we're... We're taking care of one another. We're looking after one another. We're, we're being gracious and generous towards one another. That's what God is trying to do is build up the shalom. Don't you see how this was happening in, in Zacchaeus in his salvation experience? He started being a part of this shalom fabric that God wanted to build in Zacchaeus' neighborhood. Zacchaeus went from a cheat that was breaking shalom to someone that was building it up and taking care of the needs of others. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to help take care of others now. So salvation in the fullest sense means that you're made right with God. Yes, sins are forgiven. You are saved from God's wrath. You don't have to fear that. But that spreads, doesn't it? And you're, you're now set free to, uh, to live rightly with others as well. 
Fourth thing about salvation, salvation is free but not cheap. It's free in that you do not have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to show that you deserve it. It's free in that way. What did Zacchaeus do? He climbed down the tree. That's, that's what Zacchaeus did. Uh, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want to stay with you. You know, I didn't really talk about what that word stay means. Let me, let me spend a, a second. Um, that word stay can be used in different ways. We can use the word stay kind of relationally, spatially, um, internally. So relationally, it meant to abide with. You know, Jesus in John chapter 15 says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. It's the same word stay as Jesus said to Zacchaeus. I want to stay at your house. The same word, I want to abide with you. Stay can be used kind of internally. Stay pure, stay clean, stay happy, whatever. Stay that way or spatially. I want to stay at your house. So so he didn't want to stay at Zacchaeus' house just for a few hours, but he wanted to abide with Zacchaeus there. Isn't that just amazing? So Jesus says, I want to stay with you. Zacchaeus comes down to the tree and he embraces Jesus. That's it. That's not, that's not working for salvation. It's embracing Jesus. It's not working for your salvation. That's being transformed by this offer that Jesus gives you. My love. It's free grace. It is free, but it's not cheap. That salvation was purchased at an extremely high price, and the gospel is that Jesus paid that infinitely high price for our salvation by giving up his life on the cross. Now, did Zacchaeus realize that Jesus would do that, that he would die on a cross for him just a week or so later? Probably not. I mean, you find out that in a, in a few short days. But did Zacchaeus see Christ's sacrificing for him? Yes, he did. He saw Jesus sacrificing for him. How? One more verse to look at. Verse 7 says, All the people saw what had just happened, and they began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. The word for mutter. There's a reason I wanted to bring up this this verse, the word for mutter is so rare in the Bible, like it occurs twice. And it's a weird word. It's diagagazai. Uh, I'm sorry. I practiced that word before the sermon, by the way. Diagogizo. Uh, Diagogizo. Okay, just a made-up word. If you like poetry, it's an automatopoeia. It's a word that is created to sound like something that happens in real life. And that word was made up to sound like a bunch of angry bees buzzing. That was the crowd when they saw Jesus say, I want to stay at your house. They were like this crowd of angry bees. How in the world could Jesus be staying at his house, that sinner's house? How did Zacchaeus see Jesus sacrificing for him. He took on the crowd's anger. The crowd went from hating Zacchaeus to hating Jesus. He took on the crowd's anger for Zacchaeus' sake. The 
Christ took on the anger and hatred of this world and died so that you could be saved, but not so that you could stay in your sin. He reached out to Zacchaeus so that Zacchaeus could be restored to God, but then restored to the people around him. So the salvation Christ offers, it's spiritual. It restores you to God, but it's also social. It restores you to others as well. Salvation changes your heart. Another way to say this is that salvation is not, it's it's personal. It's very personal, but it's not private. Your salvation is not private. It changes who you are so that you can help make things right in the world and with others. So, for us to think about before we pray, um, how has your salvation changed you? Or what has it cost you? Not to earn it, but as a result. As a result of your salvation, how has it changed you? How were you before and how are you now? And if you have a hard time answering that question, what do you do? You, you put yourself in the tree in that story, don't you? You put yourself in that tree, in that sycamore tree. And you watch and you see Jesus. Although there are crowds around him come right up to you and stop at your tree and say to you, come down because I want to abide with you. And I want you to abide with me. See yourself in the story, in that tree. Think about what your salvation means. Give yourself to to Jesus and him taking over that right top spot in your heart. And watch how he will change your life. Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, thank you that while we were sinners, you died for us. While we were scoundrels, uh, that you loved us and that you, you, you saw so much more in us than we see in ourselves. Uh, you see a child, you see a loved one, you see a family member, you see someone that you see as a dear friend. Um, and you, you save us from shame, uh, and you help us to, um, to live like a new person. Thank you for your salvation. We pray that if anyone is desperate for you and has not received that salvation, that they would hear your call even now, asking them to come and be with you, and, and, and help us all to remember that All we do is we open up our arms and we invite you in and and you come in and you never leave us and you never forsake us. Um, Help us to hear your voice, hear what you say about us, hear you call us your beloved. And may that change us so that we can just be right with others around us in this, this neighborhood around us and work for your shalom. And we pray this for Christ's sake and his kingdom. Amen.